0: Hi, my name is Tony Blackall, I'm of Blackall Racing, LLC. I'm a Navy veteran and I ride the Supersport class. Racing motorcycles are very important to me because it brought me out of a dark place where I didn't know I was going down in. I came home from the military and kind of this is what brought me back and kind of saved my life. Luckily, my wife noticed that I was in a, a rabbit hole is what I'd like to say. It brought me out because it brought me back to the motorcycle camaraderie the community and the adrenaline, and it felt like the military life all over
1: again. Welcome visionaries, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, leaders, and growth seekers of all types to the Passion Struck Podcast. Hi, I'm John Miles, a peak performance coach, multi-industry CEO, Navy veteran, and entrepreneur on a mission to make passion go viral for millions worldwide. And each week I do so by sharing with you an inspirational message in interviewing high achievers from all walks of life to unlock their secrets and lessons to becoming Passion Struck. The purpose of our show is to serve you, the listener, by giving you tips, tasks, and activities you can use to achieve peak performance and pursue a passion driven life you have always wanted to have. Now, let's become Passion Struck. Welcome to episode 60 of the Passion Struck podcast with our guest today, the Hall Racing Team. This week, I'm doing two episodes with veterans who are in professional motorsports. Today's episode is with Janet and Tony Blackall. And later this week, I will have another interview with Naval Academy graduate and Naval officer turned NASCAR driver, Jesse Luigi. And I'll start today's episode with a quote from Ernest Hemingway, who said, Auto racing, bullfighting and mountain climbing are the only real sports. All others are games. Thought I'd use that as a lead-in to today's discussion. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Black All Racing. They are a female veteran-owned professional motorcycle racing team with an all veteran crew. Their goal is to promote patriotism and be a resource for veterans. They participate in Moto America, which is North America's premier motorcycle road racing series. Blackhall racing president, Janet Blackhall, served as an aircraft mechanic in the United States Marine Corps for over 14 years. And her husband, Tony, a United States Navy veteran, rides in the top level in the U.S. supersport class. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss how they discovered their passion to form this racing team, the difficulties of running a private racing team when you're competing against teams who've got mega sponsors, their favorite race courses and what it's like to be on the track, why their support of veterans is so important. And we'll talk about their 9 bike from last year and the one that they're going to unveil here in a couple weeks. We also talk about their suggestions for, one, battling PTSD, and two, for taking the leap of faith that it took them to form their racing team and their advice to anyone else who is trying to pursue their passion project. A great interview today. Can't wait for you to hear it. Now let's become passion struck. Welcome to this episode of the Passion Struck Podcast, and I am so excited to have the Blackall racing team with me, Janet and Tony Blackall. Thank you both for being here. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for having us.
1: Well, as we talked about uh, when I first reached out, I, like many veterans, am a lifetime member of the VFW, and- Uh, I opened up the magazine and you never know what to expect. And in it was this amazing story about the two of you. And uh, from the second I picked it up, I just thought to myself, I have to have them on the podcast. So excited for you to be here.
2: Thank you. We're happy to be here for sure.
1: I never understand how does the VFW discover these amazing interviews because they do pick up some pretty unique ones. Was it a process of you approaching them or had they heard about you and decided to feature you?
2: Uh, Actually, we were contacted through Motor America, which is the series we race. And they said that either they or the VFW, I'm not sure, was looking to do more about veterans and highlight that aspect. And uh, so they reached out asking if either one of us were VFW members. And I said, yeah, I'm a lifetime member. And they turned us over to the direct contact at the VFW. They did an interview and they said, we want to put you on the cover. And I didn't really believe it was going to happen until I saw it in print and was like, holy cow, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) I actually really enjoy their magazine because I think it has some really uh, unique Stories that they tell, so it's it's always for me a highlight when it comes out uh, monthly. Well, for the listener and the viewers out there, because we're going to have this on our YouTube channel and of course the Passion Start podcast. I think a good starting point on this would be, you know, what was the formation? Because I, I've got to imagine there are not too many husband wife racing teams, whether it's in motorcycle racing or you know NASCAR or open wheel.
2: Well, uh, I, I uh, met Tony at a ice luge. Uh, He was being towed around in a reclining, uh, like a lazy chair, reclining chair behind a motorcycle on an ice track. And I was like, who is that guy? What in the world? And um, we ended up having a good time meeting each other that night and the rest became history. And I had said, well, I served in the Marine Corps a long time ago. And he said, oh, I always wanted to join the military. And I said, oh, you can't be one of those people. (laughs) If you want to join the military, then man up and go join the military. And I think he was a little caught off guard by that, but he said, okay. So he was definitely much older than I was when I joined, but uh, he started pursuing his special warfare contract and got that and shipped off to boot camp and left me and the babies at home and just had an agreement that if the long distance thing didn't work out, like I would probably move on to base housing, which was not something I was looking forward to based on my own personal experiences to what military family life looked like when I was in, uh, you know, back in 2000, but he ended up being medically separated during training and came home a hot mess. He wasn't himself. He didn't leave the house for a month. He wasn't doing well. And I, because I transitioned very poorly as well, when I got out in 2005, um, I was like, you got to do something. You got to find your passion. We have to get you something. And so he asked if he could buy a motorcycle because he used to race motorcycles when he was young. And I said, absolutely, buy a motorcycle. So he did, and it was it was like the more he did on the track, the better he was at home, husband and father. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about how you how the track part grew.
0: Basically. She wrapped it all up into one. Uh, I came home, I call it the rabbit hole, started down the rabbit hole, um, started coming out once we got the motorcycle involved. It was uh, my mind starting to reopen up again. It gave me something to look forward to and it, it, it wouldn't allow me to focus or overthink of what happened and keep questioning it. So I always had to think ahead because if I was on the track going into a corner at 140, 160 miles per hour, I couldn't have that 10th of a second lag. I always had to be ahead of it. So I couldn't really think about what the negatives were. I always had to be positive and going forward.
1: Okay. And for a listener who is not familiar with motorcycle racing, you know, in NASCAR, they have lower divisions. Then you get to the Xfinity series, and then you ultimately make it to the top series. Is it a similar progression in the yeah. motorcycle racing league?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, You can start out as young as I believe is 14 years in the amateur series. You go to an organization and you start riding with, uh, let's say, sport bike track time, where they do laps and you learn how to ride a motorcycle correctly, um, very positively. You're accurate and it's a whole bunch of training. And then you move on to racing, which is an amateur organization. You have um, CRA, Wira. CCS, something like that. And then as you collect points, you start to move up, you start at novice, then you go to expert. And then once you've been an expert, either long enough or gained enough experience, you apply for your pro license, which is uh, Moto America, which is the top tier in America. And we are the second highest tier in uh, super sport. The only tier above us is super bike, and those are the highest two in America.
1: Okay. And this is your third season? At that level? Uh,
0: Second full season, but third season being back, yes.
1: For the listener, if they're trying to picture this, and if you're watching the video, I'll try to show some videos. You know, what types of speeds are you doing?
0: So on the 600 class, uh, we have a big front straightaway down in Virginia and Road America. We'll tap probably about 165 to 170 miles per hour, uh, especially in a draft. Slowest parts, we have a corner that's in Washington that I believe is down to 30 miles an hour. So everything is above 30 miles an hour, and uh, it's 170 down to 30 miles an hour, almost every corner, just uh, drag a knee, drag an elbow, keep it on two wheels and shiny.
1: Okay, and what are some of the most challenging aspects of running a team? Because I'm, I'm, I know yours is an all veteran crew, but I've got to imagine, you know, you've got all kinds of setup, you've got testing you've got to do, you've got to be worried about aerodynamics, the logistics of it all. So there's there's a lot more than goes that goes into it than one might think.
2: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I was going to say, number one, the driving, just driving around all over the country is challenging. And it's we're a privateer team, which means we're self-funded. So as we're driving from Michigan to Washington State and blow a tire on the side of the road, the driver gets to become the mechanic and the fix all be all and it wears on you. You know, we drove, I think it took four hours or I mean four days the first year for us to get to the Ridge um, in Washington state. And uh, because of COVID, we ended up having to drive back home and then drive back out to California later in the year because we were just racing wherever we could. And so I think we actually drove across the country like five times in 2020 but the driving and logistics is definitely tough. It's, it's exhausting. And then you get there and now it's the show begins. We have a whole day of move in where they're moving all these semis and big rigs in to set up the paddock. And then you have to set up your whole basically traveling showroom, um, which is where that's our hospitality suite, where you have a garage portion and a we call it the entertainment portion. But where we welcome the fans in to come sit down, have a break, have a snack um you know that's where we do our patriotic packages initiative but it's and then 3 days later after racing and all the technical aspect of that which i kind of leave to tony is the tear it down and pack it all back up in a tiny little box that's some heavy work for sure
1: <laughs> well i've always been a huge fan of uh, formula 1 I, lo- I love open wheel racing but in the past decades it seems like those who have money are at the top and those teams who who don't have a significant disadvantage on on all parts, which is part of the reason Mercedes keeps keeps winning and you've got the same three <laughs> or four teams at the top. Is it kind of the same thing in motorcycle racing? Or is there, you know, because of the difference in the vehicle, et cetera, uh, is there more parity?
0: Yeah, I would say for our class, we are what is called a spec class for the most part. We're allowed to do certain modifications, but not the unlimited. So it does help when you have the funding because. You don't have to go to work Monday through Friday. You don't have to drive a truck Monday through Wednesday to get there and back. And then you can go to all these other tracks just to test new things. Whereas for us, it's Monday through Wednesday, we're working, heading out to the track, working, and then we get to ride. You know, we we put in all these weeks of working to go to work some more. We have to accomplish at the end of the day of being upright, shiny, and performing at the highest level, but also remembering we have to go to work on Monday so that we can continue this.
1: Yeah. So in your case, sponsors, because you're a privateer team are extremely important. So what to you makes a great sponsor and what kind of sponsors are you looking for? I think,
0: I mean, that's the hardest thing for me is because it's just the passion and the heart. I have a, a different personality when it comes to, um, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not a fan of money. I dislike it. You know, if I had one wish ever, I'd wish that money went away, but it's not how today works. You need money to do stuff. So with sponsorship, it's, are they real? Uh, will they stand behind their stuff? Because if we want to use them and have their stuff, we want to know that it's, it, we're pushing for the right reason, if that makes sense.
1: Okay, and I, and I will definitely in the show notes put information about how they can contact you and, and I'll also let you give that out later in the show.
2: I want to add something on yeah. <laughs> that um, yeah. because I've, so I'm primarily the one who's soliciting sponsors and trying to find that and I've, I find myself um, questioning, you know, what is our unique thing or what do we bring to the table? And now after two and a half years in the paddock, I want to work with, or I'd prefer to work with veteran organizations or veteran-centric organizations whose mission aligns with ours. So for example, we are partnered with Freedom Hill Coffee Roasters this year. It's a veteran-owned coffee company out of Michigan. They take their profits and reinvest it into helping veterans with alternate therapies and um, building a nonprofit that teaches skilled trades for veterans. So For me, I would love to promote businesses like that, that feed back to what we're all about, which is caring for veterans and helping veterans, helping veterans, help veterans, anything along that line, because I can get behind that. I can talk about that all day long, and that's easy for me. Talking maybe about um, a special motorcycle chain or a sprocket is definitely not as easy for me. I would much rather talk about the VA and the improving medical services and how from when I got out in 2005 to now, how it's vastly improved and you're not waiting two and a half years for answers from the VA disability claims and those types of things. So um, I recently listened to a webinar and I was like, I think that's it. We, We need to find or partner with organizations like that, that want to connect with veterans because Our brand and who we are and the way we conduct ourselves really brings in veterans. I can't I mean, we not every day does everybody walk up and say I'm a veteran, but I guarantee in the five, 10 minutes that we're having a conversation with them, they then will say, oh, yeah, I served here and this is what I did. And we get into a long conversation that's super awesome for us and them to have that camaraderie and talk about experiences on a like minded playing field.
1: Right. And when it comes to veterans, I also understand that throughout the season, you try to also uh, donate, I think they were care packages to deployed service members. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: So it was something that I actually copied from Crown Royal called the Purple Bag Project that I did at the National Veteran Business Development Council meeting the first year that Black All Racing started. They had everybody who was in attendance, the corporations and the veteran-owned businesses go and stuff a little purple crown Royal bag and write a little note. And we packed them up that day and shipped them off overseas. I said, this was so awesome. I want to do this in the paddock. We could bring in the fans. We could get them to pack a little bag and we can remind them that freedom isn't free. And meanwhile, then at the end of the season, we have some pretty cool care packages from all over the country to send overseas. So in 2020, we were able to do 200 care packages And we only had fans in attendance at about half the races last year. Uh, But we did send them overseas to an Army National Guard unit. And in February, we actually got a Certificate of Appreciation back from them. And it's been so cool this year to do the Patriotic Packages again and show people, like, follow us. You can be a part of this. You will watch as your bags get collected. I think I have 175 in storage right now, waiting until uh, after Barber. We have two more races this year. So the end of September, we'll be shipping them out overseas. So we provide everything and it just takes five minutes of people's time. It's free because it's important to us. Like we remember how awesome it was to get a package when you're deployed overseas or a little note just going, hey, people do know I'm over here, even though they're going on with their normal lives. There's definitely people around the world not going on with their normal lives.
1: I remember from my own service, that is something that when you're out there, you, you sometimes feel isolated because you're on a long deployment or something like that. And you hear from your friends who are all back uh, living the life. And you know you do sometimes wonder if the people back home appreciate what you're doing. So I think that's a great way to give back. Now, I wanted to just switch gears. You know We're putting this episode out uh, just ahead of uh, 9-11. And I know that that's been a very important uh thing for the both of you I, I know you have a motorcycle that's that's modeled after that as well can you kind of talk about that for the listeners and and why this is such a monumental moment for you as a team
2: you want to talk to me
1: no, no?
2: I, I think you can tell them about both
1: <laughs>
2: all right so he's a, i don't know if you heard that he's asking if he wants to talk about the old one or the new one so yes last year we did a special livery for 9-11, because we saw after all the COVID shuffles that Jersey actually fell on September 11th. And we said, how cool would that be to deck the bike out in a custom livery um, for 9-11? And so we didn't tell anybody about it. We had people sign non-disclosures that part of the um, gathering pictures and the design uh, process because we were scared that somebody with a lot of money could easily come in and do the same thing. And for us, it was very big because we, you know, we don't have a lot of money, but we wanted to do this really cool thing. So we get to Jersey and we roll it out of the rig and our mechanic is like, what in the heck? Like we didn't even tell our crew. So it was awesome. And then Moto America ended up having a, um, ceremony and a moment of silence when the towers got hit and all of that. So Tony got to actually lead the parade lap around the track on our motorcycle that has the t- twin towers and never forget down the side. People love that livery. We 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 had new sponsors this year. We had to put on different bodywork, and everybody has just said, Where's the 9-11 livery? We want that. What is going on? Put it back on. So I think it was at Road America, I was talking to a bunch of Marines that we met trackside. And they were, again, questioning the livery and wanting the 911 bike. And I said, you know, we wanted to do another one this year because it's the 20th anniversary. Um, but financially, it's just not going to happen. And they said, no, you have to make it happen. Do a GoFundMe. And I was like, I, I'm not good at asking for help. Uh, that's definitely not my strength. And they said, well, just do it and we'll push it. So they convinced me to set up a GoFundMe, and so we actually do, we are in the process right now of um, having a new 9-11 special livery created, and we'll be releasing it at New Jersey, which again this year falls on September 11th, because the races are a three-day event. So this year it'll be on Saturday, and um, we're super excited just because it connects
1: I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember. So we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now back to passion struck.
2: It's, it's really easy. Like I said, people walking by, see the bike and they stop and they come in and they want to, they want to talk about it and say, that's the coolest bike I've ever seen. I mean, even on Sunday when everything's torn down and you know, the bike is the last thing to go on the rig there's spectators walking by, taking pictures of the bike, sitting there, not in its best looking state because stuff's torn down and everywhere, but they're just like, this is the coolest bike I've ever seen. And <laughs> I, I don't know how we're ever going to match that expectation or how well it's been received, but it it speaks volumes to the general public for sure.
1: Okay. And Tony, did you want to add anything?
2: I'm hoping that we can uh, definitely
0: make this year's that much more memorable and uh, i think we got something special that might actually uh might have a lot of chatter about
1: okay well well that's great and given janet when you were in you you definitely crossed over you know the war on terror and from you and and from serving and and looking at you know that it's been 20 years since this happened you know what emotions does it bring for you for, for me i can't believe it's been 20 years <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I I also can't believe it's been 20 years. And the first memory is always, I remember being in Japan at like two or three in the morning and people rushing into my room saying, turn on the TV, man, we're under attack. And I'm like, what? Rolling out of the rack and turn on the TV to see airplanes flying into buildings. And then all hell ensuing, because I was in Japan, muster trying to talk to everybody who had family and friends friends at the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, and it was just chaos. Um, I also was so lucky that I was a Lance Corporal an E3 and was pistol qualified because I had hung out at Whidbey Island for the Marine Corps birthday ball as the youngest Marine. And so while I was wasting time out there, they sent me to the pistol range and I got pistol qualified, which was great. But then I got to work the armory the whole time in Japan Handing out pistols to all the staff NCOs, while we were not sure what was actually going on in America was September 11th and not being under attack or whatever. So that um, got lots of fun experiences because of that. But then fast forward to extending my contract to be part of the first EA Six B Squadron going into theater in Iraq to really, you know, serve that duty of I'm here, I'm giving it my all, Um, and then watching all the men and women that gave a whole lot more the following years. It's, it's definitely um, emotional. It's, it's definitely sombering last year when we went into New Jersey, we told our veteran crew, like, this is going to be tough and just be patient with each other. We all are facing emotional Battles right now that for many of us are heightened and very in our face. The more that we are in the moment or thinking about it or reflecting. And at the end, it was really awesome to actually be surrounded with more veterans than just this guy um, as that support staff to be able to talk about things and try to process things that you just really can't process or I haven't quite yet figured out how to process or make sense of.
1: Well, you know, and I know because you're probably getting them just like I do, the uh, almost daily emails that the VA is sending out right now, especially as 9-11 is, is approaching, uh, because I think for a lot of people, this is probably bringing up a lot of emotion and trauma from either that day or, or their, their tour of of duty. And I did want to ask you guys if if someone has something like PTSD or is is feeling in a low place? What what are some things that you all have learned that work for you that might be able to help someone else?
2: I'd say definitely um, reach out and let's let's talk about it. Like I said, met a lot of veterans, and it's amazing how once you've at least shared a conversation or have some understanding that me and you aren't so different. They reach out via text, hey, I'm having a bad time, or they call. It's it's amazing how that network is growing and growing and growing. So for me, it's let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about this in a safe environment where you're not going to be judged and looked at like you're crazy or questioned like why didn't you do it this way or that way. Um, So for me, that's the best thing is just having a person that you a trust because that's really hard, and then being able to just Talk about things, verbalize it. I don't. I don't know if you. I
0: agree hundred percent. Being able to talk to somebody, anybody, just someone that understands and will just listen. They don't talk, but listen. It, like, get get all those emotions out because the more that you keep them inside, the more that they're just gonna fester and fester and fester, and then you're gonna have that blowout. For me, and that that's what it came to for my side of it was, I tried to hide it. I uh, hit it, hit it, hit it. And then all of a sudden it was, I couldn't control my emotions. I was in tears or then I was mad and then I was back to tears. And it was just, I, I, I just didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until I talked to my mentor that he really listened. He didn't, he didn't ask me any questions. He let me put it all out there on the line. I, I had to make myself vulnerable. I had to be uncomfortable to be comfortable. And it 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 really opened up my mind at the exact same time of releasing all this energy that was built up inside of me. And then I realized me saying it out loud to someone that understood everything just took so much weight off my shoulders. And I, I'm not going to lie, uh, that doesn't just go away after one time. And that's what I learned from my mentor is he told me that the more I tell my story, the better it feels, the more comfortable it, it gets. There's always going to be bad days, but if you can keep moving off the X or you can keep looking for that shiny light, keep going. Don't give up, don't harbor, just open yourself up, make yourself vulnerable, talk to the right people. Uh, we, we leave out our emails, our social medias, anything. We don't need to know you personally, but if you're having a bad day, we're going to do everything that we can to talk to you. If we can't talk to you correctly, we're sure as hell going to break our backs to find someone that can talk to you properly and correctly.
1: Yeah, and thank you both for sharing that. I know it's it's not the easiest thing to talk about, and I I have to tell you I was in the same boat myself for too many years than I than I want to remember because you know when I was in in the in the nineties uh, mental health was taboo, um, especially if you had a high security level, uh, which I did, because there was always threat that if you go to counseling or do other things, that that was going to get taken away from you. So I think so many people just bottled it in. And then after time, it leads to greater anxiety, severe depression, irritability, cognitive issues, lack of sleep. I mean, there's so many things that start affecting you because you try to bury it. You know, what I've learned is that you really can't bury it. For me, some of the most gratifying aspects of my life today are there were years when I just tried to avoid veterans because anytime going to a a VFW or an American Legion, for me, I would walk out of there with so much anxiety. um, It was just difficult, but it does... For someone who's listening, it—you it, know—sometimes you've got to make that choice. And I can tell you, there are millions of people who are probably in your same situation um, who are fighting emotions just like you. So, the sooner you do something about it and seek help and find someone uh, who will listen to your story and be empathetic to it, I wholeheartedly agree that helps. Absolutely, yes, hundred percent. Did you know that Forbes magazine recently cited? that 70% of individuals who do personal development, masterminds, and one-on-one coaching benefited from better work performance, increased communication skills, and overall better relationships. And we at PassionStruck are obsessed with self-development, coaching, and mentorship. That is why we've created a free resource to help you unlock your hidden potential. Because people doing great things business and life are just like you only they've had a coach along the way and we've got that covered too let us show you the systems and frameworks that we teach growth-minded individuals to help them step into their sharp edges execute on their passion journeys and get predictable results time and time again go to passionstruck.com coaching right now and let's get igniting so i i did want to Go into uh, Michigan a little bit. Uh, So, my parents both went to the University of Michigan. My father um, was raised in the inner city off a nine mile, you know, and and our family did not grow up rich at all. They were quite the opposite. And so, part of the reason he went in the Marine Corps was because he needed the money. And I, I asked him, you know, why did you go force recon? He goes, because they paid $150 extra a month. So
0: because <laughs> <laughs> <Hazard pay.
1: laughs> I didn't realize completely what I was signing up for when I did it, uh, you know, he, he looks back and he's glad he did, but he's got an interesting story that I think you'll like Tony, because in 1957, when recon was just reconstituting and they didn't have a school to send him to, so they sent him to UDT school. So he's actually a UDT graduate and, and they did that for two classes and then. You know, much of his work in both uh, Korea and then early stages of Vietnam was doing EOD types of um, missions. So, but a very interesting background.
0: Absolutely. Sure.
2: And,
1: and I thought, given what you guys are doing, the, the special warfare community could be, in my mind, someone that could really bolster you up, given you came from there. Tony and, and Janet, I think everything the Marine Corps does has an aspect of of, of that. Have there been instances where you've had a chance to interact with some forces, you know, some people who have been, whether they're CEO, SEAL, Green Berets, Rangers, so be it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have, a, I actually have a small community of a little bit. The name changed; it's MARSOC now, uh, for the Marines. And then I have a couple of Berets and a couple of SEAL CO friends that I still keep in touch with that, uh kind of keep me level-headed I guess to say like uh, they are my support group and I guess it's the the joking around because we're all from different branches is what really brings us back to life. It it recharges us all. I actually right before we did this I reached out to one of my beret I would call him like my brother and he just kind of gave me some words of wisdom and then uh, hit me in the gut instantly telling me how much army is better. So
1: (laughs) Yes, that game gets played all the time.
2: <laughs> uh, we had the honor to represent the Air Force Special Warfare uh, Recruiting Command this year. So we met a recruiter uh, at a race, and he's in the Air Force Special Warfare. And we gave him a good hard time about what we thought about the Air Force for quite some time. Um, <laughs> Air force. But at the end of the day, he, he helped. Us get some paperwork to the right people and they uh sponsored an event for us. And that was our livery for this year was a tribute to the Medal of Honor recipient John Chapman, who was a Air Force Special War Warfare guy. And the bodywork, unfortunately, Tony High sided at the first round, and the backup pieces exploded at the second round. So we're probably bringing that bodywork back next year after some uh, repairs get done to it. But it, it, it's such a small community, like you said. Um, people do a double take of waste. Special warfare. I don't know. The Air Force even had special warfare. And uh, it's it's interesting.
1: Well, it's funny you bring that up because I have a friend whose son wanted to go to one of the service academies. And he was leaning towards the Naval Academy because he wants to be a SEAL. And I said, we well, should look at the Air Force Academy. And he goes the same thing. He goes, the Air Force has special warfare. And I was just <laughs> like, some of those Ford observers are the baddest ass people yep. you are ever gonna run into.
0: Yep. yep. Oh yeah, you're gonna go boots on the ground. You're gonna get head on. So, I mean, whatever you want, you're gonna find it there.
1: <laughs> I wanna get back to the, the racing a little bit. So if someone were to ask, is there a freight favorite track that you have? What would your Absolutely. answer be?
0: So I've been looking forward to this year's Pittsburgh round. It's uh, Pittsburgh International Raceway. It's 30 minutes north of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And it was my track. There's was the one that I was just going to rip at. This year, I was going to set up the momentum. We had a little incident a week prior that I was at one of those practice days and I broke my collarbone. So, oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's a part of it. We all expected it. As of right now, it's still broken. I did try and ride, but, uh, it it did a little clicking and clattering in the corner and kind of, uh, took the oxygen out of me a couple of times. So we thought it'd be best just to sit that one out and, uh, move on to Jersey.
1: Okay. And when you're at these high speeds doing those crazy turns that you guys do, how, how far off the ground are you when you see the person extend their knees?
0: uh we have a lean angle i believe of like 37 to 40 degrees so we're we basically drag elbows knees um basically you could almost put your helmet down on the ground at our level i mean we're not moto gp where i think they're, is in the 60 degree lean angle uh but our capabilities and don't quote me on the the lean angles but we are down there so far that, I mean, we're we're basically buzzing the pavement with the side of our eyes.
1: Yeah, it looks harrowing. <laughs> I always thought the open wheel racing was harrowing. But when I've seen what you guys do on TV, I'm like, that takes a whole nother level of courage to get out there and do that. And how long have you been riding bikes?
0: For total years, I, this would probably be my seventh year of being on a road bike. So there was a big uh, seven-year gap. But I did... Three years and then this will be oh six years. I'll be six years on a bike at the end of this year.
1: Well, I was almost expecting you to say like 20 years.
0: <laughs> uh no, I kind of have a similar background as to you that you brought up was uh I'm from the out in the country. We were uh dirt floor poor. I'm I'm the kids of five. Um, I was the middle one, but the oldest boy. I spent some nights going to bed hungry because I uh let my brothers and sisters eat before me. So growing up from that level and then actually recognizing real life was there all along. Mom broke her back working job. A rough life is a rough life, but I'm, I'm thankful for every moment of it because I think it made me the person that I am today.
1: Yeah, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania and I had a friend who had a farm and his dad, we started out by racing dirt bikes and then his dad... One Christmas gave them Honda Odyssey dune buggies, which were amazing. And so we would buzz all over this farm. You know, I was a much younger, but I remember it being like 50 or 60 acres. So there was a lot of area for us to ride on. But his dad was smart enough when we were young to put a governor on these things to restrict it. But I remember when we were probably in eighth grade, he decided to take the governor off and the first race we did we're going around this hairpin turn and all i can see in the corner of my eye is my friend flipping in the air <laughs> and he lands upside down between two trees oh. <laughs> but, oh, I mean, no. we had we had such a blast on those things
0: how'd you explain that <laughs>
1: one <laughs> not very well <laughs> And his dad was not the type that you wanted to tell that story to. So I think we got grounded from the, uh, the Honda Odysseys for a bit of time. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we encouraged him not to put the governors back on. And we learned how to do it uh, much more effectively. But man, that's fun. Stay away from the trees. And I do have to ask, since you guys led into it when you met each other, what is Ice luge?
0: Uh, so it's uh it's actually my my best friend that I grew up with uh his dad was really really into those they're the sled with the wooden boards but just the two tiny steels that make contact with the ice and you can kind of stand with your feet or your hands but they're just luge so what he does having an excavating company he creates like this little small luge for all the kids to come over and just ride his sleds down
2: there's a water truck and he would take it out and run this course until it's good and frozen with a good layer of ice and then invites everybody out with all these ice runner old-fashioned sleds and you race down the ice hills <laughs> and um yeah like i said he was hooked up behind a little 50 motorcycle in a recliner with a motorcycle helmet on i was like what in the heck is going? where am i <laughs> safety first
1: <laughs> i remember as a kid uh, i would watch the olympics and I, I love the sport of luge. One, yep. one, because I'm sitting there going, that actually could be something I could compete in. <laughs> uh, absolutely. But, but man, that looks fun. Uh, almost kind of like motorcycle racing in some ways, given the speeds they're hitting.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and they're just as vulnerable. I mean, they have no protection besides a helmet. And I think their suits are very mildly padded because of aerodynamics. So, I mean, when, when they get on that sled, I think it's like any other job. Like this could be your last time, you know, take it in.
1: Well, I had just a couple more questions. The, the first part of the reason for our show is to, to share inspiration and to share stories that people can relate to where they've, you know, they've taken a chance to go after something that they're passionate about that really excites them. And for you guys, this was a, a huge leap. To do, you know. So, what would your advice be to someone who's listening, who you know might be in a rut, or you know they have a dream that they want to go after, but sometimes you know one of the biggest regrets are the dreams you had and you didn't pursue. You know, so from doing it yourselves, and I know it's not easy. What's some advice you would share?
0: Uh, for me, if if you think that you're going to have any regret about something, you should do it. You should definitely take a head on. You should just go in. Don't be scared of failure. Failure is what's going to help you grow. For me, it was fuel for the fire. If I failed, I learned twice as much. If I succeeded, I learned a little bit. I always just want to grow more and more if it's learning, physical, mental, anything. I, it, it motivates me to fail.
2: For me, I wanted to open my own business um, six years before Black All Racing was formed, actually. I was going to be a defense contracting manufacturing facility and I couldn't figure out how to take that jump. I was worried about my kids and money and healthcare and who's going to put insurance on the kids and how would I pay for that? And how would I take responsibility for all these employees? And so I did, I ended up not, I ended up getting sucked back into the rat race and working for somebody else. Fast forward, Tony's story and the motorcycle racing and the first pro round he took me to. And I was just like, we got to do this. Like no, no, you know, I could die tomorrow. We need to make this happen. And with that mentality, all those obstacles became a lot smaller. And, and I'm not going to say that it doesn't come with pain and hard work, but most people with military background, pain and hard work is easy. That that's the easy stuff. I'm all in like, just do it because you're going to figure out how to overcome those things that you can't figure out right now you will work through them. And sometimes it is really hard. You know, I'll share, I thought it'd be a great idea last year to sell our house. And so we sold our house in the first like 26 hours it was on the market. And then I went to go get pre-qualified and realized nobody would give us a loan because I was a new business owner. Nobody would count any income or anything from me. And yeah, we had just opened a business. We had a ton of debt. And uh, one one guy's paycheck, and so kind of overnight, we realized we couldn't get a house, and ended up being homeless, living out of the rig for a while, like eight months in Michigan, winter. But you work through these things, um, and sometimes you just really do learn the hard way that oh, maybe next time I definitely will look a little deeper, think a little more. But at the end of the day, you you just got to do it um, because it's never going to be the right moment. You're never going to have everything figured out, at least not in the nor- normal people's lives. I mean, I guess if you're independently wealthy and, you know, have things super easy, then yeah, it becomes easier to take large risks. But I, w- I would definitely say just do it. And even, you know, this whole black all racing business, I would not take back for a second. And that's been the, Kind of my MO the whole time is that regardless, if I can't do it for another year or another day or another month, you know, the music stops and I have to go get a normal job, I can do that anytime. I can go do that. But until then, this is super awesome and I'm living my life to the fullest. And for that is super cool.
1: Great. Thank you for that. And a question I always like to ask veterans any advice to a veteran who is having trouble navigating the VA that you can share?
2: Go talk to the service help people. They have been my saving grace, the American Legion and the VFW, the volunteer people that actually kind of help bridge the gap. So at our local VA, they have an office right up front when you walk in the door. Um, you got to schedule an appointment with them now because of COVID, but I think they're service providers or service advisors or something like that, but they are so helpful in, in, you know, I want to do this, or I'm thinking about starting my own business. Can you help explain what resources? They are a wealth of knowledge, so I would definitely encourage the I, I'm service coordinators. I think they're called.
1: Yeah, the the VSOs, veteran yes. service. Yes.
2: Yes, yep. the service officers. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. That would, that would my,
2: definitely be my recommendation.
1: My, my only uh, other bit of bit of advice is you have to be your own advocate. Because the VA works all in silos and protocols. So the only person who's looking holistically at your health is you. So, you know, don't let people saying no to something that you think you need to be treated for stop you from going forward and and getting seen for it. Because of the protocols, that can happen instead of looking at the whole systemic issue going on. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And then if someone would like to get in touch with you guys, I'll put them in the show notes. What are some ways that they can do that?
2: Blackallracing.com. That's our website. There's a contact us button or my email is Janet at blackallracing.com. J-A-N-E-T. Um, and then on Facebook and Instagram, we're at blackallracing. And we, we try to respond to anybody in whatever way they reach out to us.
0: Yeah, we we definitely take private messages on social media platforms, everything, and then we'll get to them as soon as possible. I mean, I, I've created bonds with people that I never thought I'd even talk to, but because they put themselves in a vulnerable state and reached out to me, social media, probably to make it a little bit easier. And I reached out back to them. I mean, that friendship took off like we we're brothers and sisters. It It immediately took off as soon as someone wants to listen.
1: That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Last question I had is there are two more races left in the season. If people want to watch them, when are they?
2: Yeah. Uh, New Jersey Motorsports Park is September 10th, 11th, and 12th. There's races on the 11th and 12th on MAV TV, which is a basic cable channel. Um, or
0: MotoAmericaPlus.com. Yeah. The MotoAmerica
2: America live streaming app. And then Barber Motorsports Park is the following weekend, which I think is September 18th and 19th. And again, that'll be on Mav TV and Moto America Live Plus.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you both for being on the show today and sharing all your thoughts and wisdom.
2: Yes, thank, thank you for you. having us.
1: I really enjoyed that interview today with Janet and Tony and their cause of helping veterans while running their professional motorcycle team. We discussed a number of things today related to PTSD, and I wanted to just give a couple shout outs. One is to Boulder Crest and their Warrior Path program that helps people with post-traumatic growth. And another foundation called Camaraderie Foundation, which first responders and veterans can go to for mental health help. We've got some additional great episodes coming up in the next few weeks, including back-to-back episodes with astronauts Wendy Lawrence and astronauts Kaylee Barron, who's about ready to go up to the ISS in October. I also have on Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine, and I wanted to thank you so much for coming today and listening to this podcast. I know that there are tons of other ones you can be listening to, and it means so much to us that you come in every single week and listen or watch our podcast. And if you if truly loved today's episode, please share it with friends who would enjoy this content. And if you could, we love five-star ratings. They mean so much to us and the growing popularity of this podcast. We have over a thousand of them today and I'd love to see us get to 2000 in the future. Thank you as always and be passion struck. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential if you want to hear more please subscribe to the passion struck podcast on spotify itunes stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. and if you absolutely love this episode we'd appreciate a five-star rating on itunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our passion struck community if you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us.